the biggest thing I can say is the same thing I tell my kids. Life is too damn short. Go as soon as you can. Travel. What's up, podcast? Drew back again with another episode of Moto Adventure Unscripted. Uh, today on the show, we have my buddy Jeff Pierce. Um, Jeff and I have worked together years and years and years ago um, and immediately got to know one another through motorcycles. And uh, I found it interesting. I had met him after it had actually happened, but uh, he went into a long story with me way back in the day talking about riding a motorcycle to Alaska. So I wanted to have him on the show. So he bought a brand new KTM 990 many years ago. Uh, hurried up and got the first service out of the way and then rode an 11,000 mile round trip ride from here in basically Dayton, Ohio up to Alaska and back. Um, so it's, a, it's an awesome story about how to pack and what that life experience is like um, along with a um, special story to him. Uh, I also helped Jeff build a scrambled sportster so him and I go into some of the details about that um, so just lots of just chit chat about uh, adventure travel, Alaska, Dakar rally, history of the KTM 990, some of that stuff. So uh, hope uh, you find your beverage of choice and uh, you enjoy the show. Here we are sitting down with my buddy Jeff Pierce, listening to the uh, wood burning stove go and a couple cold beers. How's it going, sir? It's going well. Uh, enjoying retirement. And, uh, <laughs> making lots of plans. I speak for lots of the listeners. We hate you. I <laughs> want you to know that, right? You're welcome. Now. <laughs> I think I've earned it. I think you have too, sir. Absolutely that. Uh, obviously, I wanted to sit down with you because you took a, a big ass long trip to Alaska, and I know some of the details, um, but because it's a bucket list trip that I want to make, I would love for you to walk me through motivation bike selection, packing, all that stuff. Um, and before I start running my mouth too much, please give me a short synopsis or give the listeners a short synopsis of who you are, what you've done, what kind of bike you're like, sorry, how you got into bikes, what's your experience, blah, blah, blah. Um, well, let's see, spent almost 13 years in Uncle Sugar's Canoe Club. That would be the Navy for people that don't understand. Um, bikes. First bike was a 72 Sportster before I went in the Navy. That didn't last long. Didn't ride bikes for a while. Uh, while I was in the Navy, I picked up a 73 Super Glide and rode that all over California and part of Nevada and part of Arizona. Then marriage came along. The bike was fine. Started thinking about, well, the kids came along, parked the bike for what, 12 years. And, uh, didn't ride for 12 years, uh, got divorced, <laughs> um, got out, came home, got a job, and then uh, bought a Buell Ulysses as a bike to get back into riding. Yeah. Um, and that's a fun bike to ride, and it will save you if you're stupid. Hmm. You can ride into corners too hot, too fast, wrong line, and it will save you. Hmm. Uh, it handles like a rocket for me. It, granted, I hadn't ridden in 12 years. Right. And I knew, still knew the basics and still knew how to corner and mm -hmm. things like that. But getting feet wet, that was, uh, that was for me, the right bike. 
Um, and then about a year later, traded that in on the Electroglide that I still have. And that all happened in 2000, well, the fuel was in 2006 and the Electroglide in 2008. And that's, so that's an OA Electroglide. Yeah, with uh, almost 90,000 miles on it now. 100% stock. Uh, I think you got like a, a, a cargo rack on the back or something. That is a Harley part. The only two parts on that bike that weren't on it when I bought it is the passenger backrest. And I call it the 12-pack rack because yeah. the 12-pack laid on its side fits perfect in it. Yeah. I think someone knew what that bike may or may not be used for and designed <laughs> the rack accordingly. <laughs> but uh, it is the couch with two wheels. It is comfortable. Uh, you can rip off six, 700-mile days yeah. and be fine. Um, rides before the Alaska ride and rides after the Alaska ride, it's been to... Maine, it's been to Key West, um, it's been a lot of places, and until recently, everything was fine. At about 90,000 miles, it needed a transmission. I, you told me about that. What actually? Well, what can happen is the uh, seal, what showed me what was wrong is yeah. there's that primary seal that from the transmission output shaft where the pulley is for the rear wheel, yeah. rear drive pulley. I pulled up in the garage, went up, came up, and uh, went down a couple hours later, and I had a nice red puddle of oil. Yeah. The only oil in that motorcycle that's red is transmission. So I figured <laughs> it just needs a seal. So, you know, 80,000, 90,000 miles, it happens. Yeah. I took the primary all apart and uh, needed a tool went down to a buddy's and uh, just it was easier just let Brad rebuild it than have me rebuild it it uh, you need a, I didn't realize you needed many specialty tools that would cost I think I added it up like six hundred dollars right. just in tools to do the job and it's like no let Brad do it and it's been fine since well I mean but when we took it apart every bearing clicked Every bearing made noise. Everything was rough. Um, I was fortunate that gears and the shafts were just fine. Mm -hmm. No scars. It was just the bearings that have the inner races, outer races. They were all trashed. And um, put the transmission back in it. Put the primary back together. Go. It, uh, it's doing fine now. So That's. I mean, you and I talking Harley's. Um, obviously, we have we have various listeners and we have various former guests to include Alad who's coming out or has come out since the time people hear this obviously he's also built a dirtster his himself so but uh, I've been trying to weather the winter by watching sportster uh, custom videos and putting cams in and whatnot and I'm like yeah there's a reason why I bought this bike because it's it's easy to work on man well for those who don't know I'm the one that along with Drew built Ripley for those who know who what Ripley is, I will uh, actually I'll put uh, links to that article okay. and photographs so people can see that. Yeah, the uh, the famous Jeff Durster project. It's down in the bay, down in the garage. Um, this last winter, it got a little surgery. It went from an eight eight three to a Hammer twelve fifty kit. Um, I didn't want crazy horsepower. Um, it's still less than a hundred. I figure it's about eighty, so I just made it bigger. Left the stock heads, stock cam but it pulls out of the hole 
be careful in second gear. Now you're making me question because I read all that. I went down that rabbit hole like this week, as a matter of fact. You did? Oh, yeah. I was at home cutting the previous podcast, as a matter of fact, and I'm reading up on the hammer kit and everything else. And I'm like, hmm, cams, no cams. Uh, for the listener's benefit, um, I'm always drawing a podcast blank now. Um, who's that guy from the UK that has a great YouTube channel that I love? Um, he's done quite a few of them. Man. Somebody's screaming at their phone right now because I can't remember who it is. Del Boy's Garage. Bingo. Nailed it. Okay. Del Boy's working on a custom Sportster right now. Okay. He cut down his uh, right side cover and some other stuff. And so he was, he wanted to put a 1200 kit in his 883. And so he was taking the cams out. And I had never seen Sportster cams come out before. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's that's easy. easy. <laughs> like, that's crazy easy. <laughs> you have to realize most Harleys, except for the newer ones, I would say, Oh, from the 80, 96 cubic inch engine and up, you can fix them with a hammer and a wrench. <laughs> that's the only two tools. You need a screwdriver, but that's the three tools you need. Because uh, there's not, the technology until you get to there is basically out of the 30s and 40s. Right. Um, it's not rocket science. Um, what's the joke? Harley turning gasoline into noise without the benefit of horsepower yes. for years. Um, I mean, the electric lights, 96 cubic inches and 75 horse. Obviously, you mean, you and I've worked for the same company over time and things like that. And I deal with the stuff as you know it well. But I'm like, yeah, just a couple brass bushings that are in the cover. And that's it. Like, there's nothing to it. Just pull these cams out. Make sure they're marked right to time them to put them back in. Done. Like, it is no timing chain. They're all gear driven. Uh, and it makes it so easy. And the cams are stamped. Yeah, right. You can't. <laughs> You they're even numbered. You can't even wipe it off. It, yeah. it's, it's in the metal. Yeah, it's they're they're numbered and they're stamped where the mating parts go. And I'm yeah. like, oh man. And so that's what it was. It sent me down the rabbit hole of if I wanted to do a 1200 kit, do I need more cams? And then I went to Hammer, and then it just came unglued. So I can't wait to experience you, the Dirtster. In, in person. You can go broke on Hammer if you're not careful. No, I looked at some <laughs> of that. It's it's wild. So for sure. So uh, what? What was the genesis behind Alaska? And don't let me get ahead of that. Was the bike selection before the trip selection or the trip happened and then the bike happened? The trip, the idea for the trip and the reason for the trip happened a few years before the trip happened. Um, but as I was, I was going to take the electric line. The trip happened, for those who don't know, happened in 2011 in July and early August. And uh, a few years before the trip, my father had passed away. He wanted cremated, and he'd been sitting in a box in the house for a few years. And he had always wanted to go to Alaska and never made it. So I figured I was going to take him there and leave him. Spread his ashes someplace. I hadn't figured out where. Um, thought about taking the electric light, even so far as to, you know, I like to design stuff, build stuff, fabricate, whatever you want to call it. And I was working on a skid plate for the electric light because I figured I would end up taking it off road sometime, just gravel roads, nothing extreme. And uh, thought, this isn't a really good idea. And I had the financial means to buy a more dirt oriented bike and uh, always followed the Dakar rally, knew about Ciro Dupree, Fabrizio Mioni, Mark Coma. All these great rally riders and uh, especially Fabrizio Mioni in a 950. Well in 2011 you couldn't buy a 950 but you could buy a 990 so I did 990 Adventure 
uh, and I bought the Dakar version, which got you the high horsepower engine with the short suspension because I have a 29 inch inseam <laughs> and my 450 kills me sometimes <laughs> because it's got a 37 inch seat height. But uh, so I bought the bike and I knew I was going to need something for luggage. So I knew I didn't want hard bags. I knew I didn't want hard bags. So I looked around and settled on Wolfman bags and just a 20 liter roll top for clothes. Uh, the bags were gonna carry the sleeping bag, the pad, the tent, tent poles were gonna be strapped in the back. Um, so I put the Wolfman luggage rack on and the bags. And I also got a tank bag. Um, camera, things you used every day, got stuffed in a tank bag. What kind of camera? You had a pretty nice one. Uh, on that trip, I didn't take the nice one. I still have the camera I used. It's a uh, Olympus, I think it's called a Tough. Oh, it was a point and shoot. Um, it's a small camera. It's a little bit bigger than your phone. But it uh, took really nice photos. Um, I used to travel around with a Nikon D70. Um, Nikons and motorcycles do not get along because of vibration. Uh, that camera, after about five years, died a horrible death because you pick it up and shake it and it rattled. Nice. That's not a good thing for a digital SLR to do. Um, so we're talking like uh, 18, 20 liter panniers. Is that what you're talking about? Um, I think they're 220s. And then you had how big? Then was I had the a 20. Bag? The roll bag on top it was just a like a Cedar Summit. Yeah. It wasn't a Wolfman or anything. It was just a. Was it waterproof? Yeah, it's a dry bag. A Cedar yeah. Summit dry bag, just yeah. roll top. Yeah. And that's pretty much all the clothes lived in it. And uh, crazy work schedule. Um, Got in an argument with the boss about my immediate supervisor about taking a month off. And I had a month's vacation that year. Yeah. That's what I had been to the company so long that was the deal. And then his boss goes, he can take it a week at a time or all at one time. I don't care. Yeah. So I finally got permission to take off um, after our July shutdown for people who are in the manufacturing business. A lot of companies shut down at the beginning of July for the July 4th. We go in, fix everything they busted for the last six months. When that shutdown was over, I left. Um, July 9th, 2011. And uh, that was the beginning. It was a Saturday morning. And it took me seven days. The next Saturday, I was in Toke. That is the first town you get to as you go into Alaska off the Alcan. That seems like a lot of miles in seven days. Well, I have my notes. I have my what, notes. Five thousand miles to no, I guess it's probably four thousand miles from here to the Alaskan border. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Um, Maybe it's only three. I never figured that part out. Yeah. I know the first day I did sixteen hundred miles. The next day I did seven hundred miles or six hundred miles, then seven hundred miles. Yeah. Um, uh, the first day, or I'm sorry, the second day, I ended up in, um, where did I end up at? Uh, Helena, Montana, on day two. Uh, I was going to ride the road to the sun on the way out, go through Glacier from west, or from, sorry, from east to west. And I had called before I left, and yeah, the road to the sun's open. And the two days it took me to get there, they had enough snow that they closed the road. In July. In July. So wow. I ended up going through, I can't even tell you the name of the town I went across the border at. It's just this little town. 
I think it was Highway 89 on sure. the east side of Glacier. I just went due north and I ended up in Calgary that night. I would not recommend that part because the stampede started that day. I got the Calgary Stampede. It's one of the biggest rodeos in the world. Okay, I was like, huh? <laughs> and I got the last hotel room in town, I think. <laughs> uh, Back up for a second. So, I mean, you're running stock tires on the bike? And... Uh, the original tires. Okay, um, that's what I thought. Pirelli Scorpions or something yes, like that. Yes, Scorpion Sinks, I think. Um, that's kind of a interesting part, too. I bought the bike in May, and my work schedule was so crazy. It was all I could do to get the 600 miles on it for the first service before I left. Yeah. So I stopped at uh, the dealership, dropped the bike off, had the first service done. And there's a lot of things for that engine that they have to do, a lot of spacers they take out, readjust a lot of things for the break-in, change the oil, filters, normal stuff like that. And I told the guys at the dealership that I was going to go ride to Alaska. That's specifically why I bought this bike. I showed back up a month and a half later with 11,000 miles on a brand new motorcycle. <laughs> They're like, what did you do? I told you what I was going to yeah, do. You've been warned. That's solid stuff. But, but... Uh, yes, I went up on, uh, on, the, on the stock tires, the Scorpion tires. Um, not to jump ahead too far, but I did have the rear changed in Fairbanks. Okay. Because that bike eats rear tires. Uh, you'll go through two, at least two, sometimes three rears for one front. When you have a, a ham fist like yours? Well, <laughs> the only picture that anybody's ever got of me on that bike riding it, the front wheel's about three inches off the ground. Um, that's not fully true. I have a few pictures of you, and you're right, the wheel's off the ground. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's what I <laughs> That one down in Kentucky, and it is. Yeah, it was so good. But uh, anyway, that's the story behind the bike. Um, it's a great bike, still have it. I'm doing a lot of work to it right now just to get it refreshed. I have some rides I want to do this year on it, and I don't want to be that guy. Even though most of my riding, and Drew can attest to this, I'm usually by myself. Um, it's not that I don't play well with others. I just enjoy myself more mm -hmm. alone. I, you know, I ride where I want, when I want. I don't have to... Fellers, it's time to go. And everybody is hee-hawing around. Yeah. And we'll get to that later in the trip. Uh, we'll get to it now. It's a funny story really quick. Uh, I ended up taking the ferry back from Alaska. I didn't ride back. And it didn't save me time because it's four days to get from Alaska to Washington. It's 2,000 miles. Yeah. And the ferry trip is four days. And on the way down... Uh, you meet people on the ferry, and this husband and wife that were on a road king, she asked me if I would ride with him from Bellingham, Washington, where you get off the ferry, to Glacier, because the people they were with were going to ride from Prince Rupert to Glacier. They were getting off the ferry one stop before I yeah. was and he was, and it's got to do with he's not allowed in Canada. Don't want to go there. Don't have any idea. Don't want to know. <laughs> yeah, none of my business. <laughs> yeah, he's just not allowed in Canada. So I said, sure. And she went with them. And um, I think his name is Bill. Um, we rode from Bellingham, Washington, pretty much straight out to to uh, Glacier. And uh, I was never more happy on that trip to get rid of someone. Sorry, Bill. 
<laughs> but uh, he was on a road king. We had to stop in Spokane, Washington, so he get a new rear tire because the cords were showing. Ooh. I don't know about you, but if I'm riding a motorcycle that far, I think I'm going to put a tire on it before I leave. Yeah. Uh, I've reread my notes about that, and it's like, it took Harley Davidson of Spokane five hours to do an oil change and put a rear tire on a bike. I'm like, I can do that in my garage in about an hour. That's, I'm sure listeners are tired of listening to me talk about that, but that's it. Like, people wonder why I change my own tires and everything else. I'm like, man, I don't have time to take my crap to somebody else and wait. I just yep. don't. Um, I don't think that bike has been back to the dealership once. Yeah. Um, and for the record, I'm not shaming anyone that does that. Yeah, it's just no, no. a matter of if you have the time or the money, you have the time or the money. I just, I'm... I can't, I don't have time to deal with it. They're... My biggest thing is, is I break things. <laughs> I know I break things. So I want to know how to fix it. Yeah. Um, hence why it's in little pieces in the garage right now. Uh, the tanks are off of it, all three of them. Uh, the intakes are off, the fuel injectors off, um, or carburetors, whatever. It is fuel injected, but they look like carburetors. Um, redesign the air box, redesign the glove box, hold down. That part's done. You're doing all that? Yeah. Wow. Uh, after this is over, I can show you. Yes. My glove box is going to come off with one screw, not eight. Yeah. Um, stealing ideas from some people, modifying them, making them so they work for me. Yeah. Uh, kind of like with Ripley. Uh, we started with, you could call it a kit. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't call it a kit anymore. Yeah, I mean, I've talked about a couple of episodes. Um, I think I talked about with Alan in the first one about helping you build that. But yeah, Hugo Moto, you know, made a kit, and we were glad that they made it easy package, and it was a pretty mm -hmm. decent discount on parts. But unfortunately, they're not with us anymore. Yeah. And a caveat to Hugo Moto, what they, the parts they figured out to use, they still work. That bike's yeah. been built now for what, five, six years? God, what was that? Twenty seventeen? Yeah, I think yeah. that's where it was. Yeah. So, and it's still. Peg relocation to me is the thing that they really nailed that I, it's unfortunate because I don't think they have a replacement for that. Uh, there are a few companies out there that do that, but no one does it. I can't use the word correctly, but they don't put them far enough back to make everything work. Well, um, if you, uh, if you want to get your welder going, I have a Sportster that's in my garage that I need to figure that out for. Rubber mount or... Or rubber, rubber. Okay. So you get to do something new. Yes. <laughs> so, um, so, so, because Ripley, for those who don't know, is a solid engine, solid mount engine. Yeah. And I wanted it because it's fifty pounds lighter than a rubber mount. Yeah. And uh, I am always on the lookout to make things lighter, stronger. Not always go together, but uh, more reliable, I guess, would be yeah. the right way to say it. Simpler. I mean, and I like this, and I've said it before. You have the Dirtster. I'm going to build the Advenster. Probably. I don't know if I'll do 1917, especially since it already has a 21 on the front right now. Um, but it's more about being the long distance, I don't have to do shit to it bike, but I'm not going to beat on it as bad yeah. as I beat the Scrambler already. Well... Like we've had this conversation many times. What is the maintenance on a Harley? Change the oil. Yes. That's Change the spark plugs about every, what, uh, 20,000 miles, I think? I, I want to keep the belt, actually. But, but anyway, I'm detracting. Yeah, from yeah. The Alaska okay, trip. anyway, the Alaska trip. I left on the uh, 9th of July. And uh, we already went over why the trip. 
and I've always wanted to go back. I'd been there a couple of times in the Navy. Well, but you, I, you had, you got leave one time in the Navy. And didn't mm-hmm. you say that you went to Denali and didn't come back for like 30 days? That was when I got out. Uh, when I got out of the Navy, I went up to Denali for, I was actually out for 56 days. You walked into Denali National Forest for 56 days. Yeah, but it was 56 days past, and then you walked back out. Well, the bus. They have a bus that runs down the road. Right, but, but everything yeah. that you had, you either found yourself to eat, live in, or it was on your back. End of story. I walked in with a 147-pound backpack, backpack. When I came back, it weighed right about 50 because I ate or burned everything in it. And now, 50. that was food... Uh, water you can get there, but I had water purifier filters. Yeah. Um, first needs great stuff, by the way. Uh, I, they don't do so well because they're heavy, mm-hmm. but you won't get sick. I right. know that. Um, but uh, yeah, that was, uh, like I said, I like to be alone. <laughs> <laughs> that defines it pretty well. Yeah. 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 I went to Denali and lived in, it lived there by myself for over a month. Yes. I well, like myself. And, and some of the guys, this was, for those who know who Chris McCandless is, some of the guys that were on the boat because they knew I was going to do this were like, you're not, you're going to turn into Chris McCandless. I'm like, no, I'm not. I know better. So if you guys want to read a great book about someone who did kind of what I did, but he took it to a whole nother level, read the Chris McCandless story. It's called, uh, give me a second. I have it sitting over there. I'll have to remember what it's We're called. We're not talking about Into the Wild, are we? Yes, okay. Into the Wild. It's, I've seen the movie. It's worth watching. The book is... Want to re- I, yeah. Always better, but yeah. if, if people aren't readers, the, the movie's worth watching yes. as well. I think that's... Is that Leonardo DiCaprio? It might be. I'm not sure. I could be wrong about that. I'm not sure who they had play in the yeah. movie. I watched it once yeah. a long time. Well, if you've read the book, it's hard to... Yeah. yeah. Um, the bus, if you know the story, the bus is no longer there. They helicoptered it out. Really? Yes. That's kind All of, the three buses that were there I don't, are gone. That doesn't make sense to me. I don't know why they would do that. They didn't want it to happen again. But uh, You're bear bait out there, period. Well, that's not what killed him. I know that, but that doesn't <laughs> yeah. change the fact that this is Denali where they have these things there called Kodiaks. <laughs> well, no, that's a little farther south, but they have grizzly bear. Well, most of the bears in Alaska are brown bears. They do have right. grizzlies, but you don't see them as much. There are a lot of black bears. I did see... Uh, and one day on the trip somewhere in either the northern British Columbia or southern Yukon, uh, I went, I saw two bears, uh, a herd of bison. This is on the bike in 20 On the bike. Yeah. I had uh, goats on the road, uh, mountain goats, and uh, I had a moose chase me. What is that like? Well, it's kind of funny. The road goes around a pond. Okay. This button buck moose, because his antlers were maybe a foot tall. Okay. Was eating in the lake, in the pond. And as soon as he heard, I saw him, I guess, before he heard me. And his head comes up, and he looks. And I make the right to start going around, making a long left around the lake. And he starts running through the water oh, right man. at me. Oh, man. It, but, and I'm like, I'm out of here. <laughs> All I saw was a moose get really small in the rearview mirrors. Um, I've ran into a moose once before in Idaho and uh, ended up going under it in a car and not touching it. 
for people who don't know, moose is a truly large animal. Think an elephant with little legs. Yeah, that one. They are deer. huge. Yeah. Uh, I ended up going under it in a Mustang too, if you know what those are. Oh my. And never God, touched it. Dude. I wasn't driving. I was half asleep in the passenger seat when Bob screamed. And I'm like, what? As I look up and all we see is, I see a, the bottom of a moose. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I just, I'm, yeah, trying, because that's, that's one of the reasons why I want to talk to you about this. It's just like, it sounds dumb. My biggest fear is the wildlife, because it really is like, you are not the top of the food chain when you get on the Alcan. That's well, <laughs> You're not even the top of the food chain when you're in Montana. <laughs> not really. And uh, the Alcan is... That's a fun road. It is all paved. For those who don't know, it's paved all the way up. There are sections where if you'd like to get off on the old road, you can go play in mm -hmm. gravel. Uh, did a couple of those. Nothing major. Just maybe 25, 30 miles of play on the gravel. You're on a 990. you got to go play something. Right. Um, the trip up past Calgary, the next day I started at uh, Dawson Creek on the Alcan, and I could not find milepost zero. Okay. There is a big... They moved it. I didn't know this till I came back. Oh yeah. It used to be out on the road, and now it's in town. Oh yeah. And the Alcan doesn't really go through Dawson Creek. It kind of it's like seventy five going by Lexington. Right. It just goes by. Yeah. Um, so I spent maybe twenty minutes doing circles trying to find this. I know I had to go by it because there's milepost two. <laughs> anyway, didn't get the photo of that. Um, just. Went up the Alcan and I ended up in, uh, I think it's called Monroe Lake, Morrow Lake. Great place, beautiful place to see. Met some of the best people. I met a father and son on gold wings. The son was on a regular gold wing, father was on a trike. And this is when I learned it's not your gear. Because they were both wearing, um, what are those things called? Dishwashing gloves. Playtex gloves yes. over their leather gloves to keep their leather dry. Yep. And it worked great. Uh, we, I had been riding in rain for like the last day and a half on and off. It would never rain, rain. It would just spit, yeah. drizzle, just enough to keep everything wet. Just Oregon mist. Agree. Yeah. yeah. Washington. Yeah. You're kind of in the same longitude. Kind so. of the garbage we've been dealing with here for the last week until just now. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but... Uh, they went on to Yellowknife that night, and I was like, I'm done. I did my 600 miles, 700 miles that day. I'm trying to relax. Stayed at a lodge there and uh, ran into three guys on bikes. And uh, one of them was a GS1150, and I know not all BMW riders are snobs, but I know one it is. <laughs> and one of the, fe the fellow with the, seven fifth, the 1150, had a King Tour Pack Harley top box on his BMW, and I just had to take a picture of it and send it to my BMW snob friend. <laughs> That's funny. That's... Uh, he did not make the trip back. I found out at the Harley shop in Fairbanks that he had went down on the Dalton. Yeah. That's the Hall Road. Uh, he was on his way back, so we did get the Purdue Bay. He was on his way back. He went down high-sided. Uh, he's fine, uh, bad sprained ankle, just couldn't ride. Yeah. So they, I saw the bike, both sides scratched up. Um, 
Ironically, not the top box, his saddlebags. He had big metal. I don't know the company, but Jesse large metal, bags. no bigger than uh, Jesse's. Oh, well, I know Tusk makes them, and then you're right. There's another one that, wow, I can't make, because Tusk has kind of copied them from somebody else. But uh, he took a plane back, and his buddies were riding back. Um, and I did get to see, uh, you know, that's the northernmost outpost for Harley. Uh, Where? Fairbanks. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's the name of the... Got it. And uh, it's one of the few places, Harley shops I've been, it's Harley, BMW, Kawasaki, KTM. <laughs> well, not KTM. KTM one KTM building, separate. every brand? One building, every wow. brand, but KTM. KTM was um, Northern Power Sports is where I was at for yeah. my retired oil change. But uh, that was in Fairbanks. Uh, got the ride through North Pole. That was interesting. Um, so if you want to know where Santa lives... North Pole, Alaska, which yes. is definitely not the North Pole, but that, <laughs> no. they call it that anyway. Um, as you're coming up, what was the Alcan, and it stops at Delta Junction, I think is where it officially stops. But the road keeps going up to Fairbanks, and you ride through North Pole on the way up. Mm -hmm. It's like it's like saying Cincinnati and Dayton. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's just a, well, anymore a suburb, just about. Fairbanks... Man, my geography's not very good. I want to say like Juneau South, Fairbanks is kind of in the middle, and then Prudhoe Bay is obviously way up at the top. I don't know if that's even close. Fairbanks to is as far north as you can get on a paved road. Yeah, that makes sense. Juneau, you have to take a boat or a plane to get to. Okay, it's on it's point. down it's down in the um, I don't even call it the Panhandle, but it's way south. You start to get a. I don't think it's an actual island, but it's to there's, get there is well. You have the too many mountains. And, the Wrangell Saint Elias mountain range goes through there, yeah. and nobody's built a highway over it. Right. Um, Alaska is one of those places where people own airplanes instead of cars, and that's a real thing. <laughs> um, I do fly, and one of the things at the and we'll start using aviation terms for just a second. FSDO, Flight Services District Office, I think is what it stands for. The biggest problem in aviation in Alaska is getting all the pilots licensed. Yeah. Grandpa came up with a license on an airplane. He taught his son. Right. Who taught his son. But dad and son never right. bothered to get a license. Well, I mean, how would you catch them? <laughs> they're in the middle of nowhere. Right. That's exactly <laughs> it. It's like, I mean, they're, they're landing on, you know, long straight creek beds and shit like that. Nobody Gravel cares. bars, floats. Um, <laughs> right. If they have a... Their idea of a runway is... A strip of gravel 800 feet long right. and 40 feet wide so the wingtips don't hit trees. Um, yeah, how would you catch these people? You, <laughs> you, if they come to town in their plane, that's yeah, about it. Right. And it's not that they're trying to catch them. It's just that's what happens. Yeah. Um, I could say a whole other story about a feller trying to fill up a super cub in tote, but that's for a different time. He was cussing. That it's a self-service, yeah. kind of like we do with our cars. He could not get his credit card to work for nothing to get that machine to turn on. This is 2011. You're sitting there on a bike and a dude is filling up an airplane. Like, how many listeners have seen that? <laughs> yeah. Well, this was actually at an airport. Uh, 40 mile air is in Toke. Yeah. And uh, there's a whole story there about talking. I just stopped by because I fly airplanes and I'm like, this is cool. It's the first airplane airport I've seen. And it's the condition of the aircraft up there. If it doesn't need to be painted, if it flies without paint, it won't have paint. Yeah. It's not like you see all these pristine machines down here. These people work their machines. It's a tool. 
It's like a car. It really is. Yes. <laughs> it's a pickup truck. Yes, because that's uh, the only way to get places. You will see canoes, four by eight sheets of plywood, um, moose, parts of them, attached to the floats and the struts and everything else. And that's how they get around. Um, it's, it's, um, it's a different place as far as aviation goes. Um, but that is the only way to get around. If you tried to walk or hike because you can't drive to the places these people are going, it would take you months. Yeah. And it takes them minutes. Right. Well, like you said, 800 feet is a landing strip. Like, and I would assume some takeoffs are shorter than that. Um, there are aircraft out there that can take off on as little as 200 feet. Um, but uh, most of the landing strips out there are a gravel bar. Right. And, and by the way, it's a gravel bar today. It may not be tomorrow. No, no, that's it. That, it's kind of funny because I'm not a big fan of like Instagram reels and stuff like that um, because it's a, it's a time warp and a, a black hole of nothing. Mm -hmm. But I do occasionally get like Alaska bush pilots and whatnot get shown to me as reels. And I'm like, oh man, so I've yeah. seen some of these landings and I'm like, yeah. these, these people are living the life in my opinion. I, grass is always greener. It's easy for me to say. But. Yeah. Well, when I was actively flying almost every day, or at least every weekend, it's like, maybe I could be a bush pilot. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> These guys fly. Now, for them, it's how they grew up. It's how they right. learned. So it's it's different. I learned a 5,000-foot-long asphalt runway that's 100 feet wide. Right. You stick my little 172 on there that's 37 feet, 36 feet wide, I can make the first taxiway every time, and it's 1,000 right. feet. But... These guys have to make the first taxiway because if they don't, they're going to wad their truck up. Yeah. No, that's, yeah. And uh, there's always a story and, uh, you know, Bush pilot forgets his lunch in his plane. It's a super cub. The bear comes up, wants the lunch, destroys the airplane. He calls his buddy up. I need a couple cases of duct tape. <laughs> and the guy flies over, knock, drops the duct tape out. The guy tapes the plane back together and flies it out. That happens. That's a real story. That's a real story. <laughs> that actually happened. I believe it. But you have you do what you have to do. It's that is the the among many reasons I want to go there is that is that when you live in a place that's so remote, I think of stories from my grandmother in Appalachia from the thirties. But that's exactly it. You make do. There no one's coming to save you. You had better figure yeah. it out. <laughs> what kind of the like you asked me about how what I packed. Yes. And I had been to places, I'd been to Alaska before, but just Anchorage, you know, not out, out away from a big city because Anchorage is the biggest city. And that's right. Half the people in Alaska live in Anchorage. And the when I was up there, the whole entire state of Alaska had less people in it than the city of Dayton. Wow. Dayton's got just over, what, a quarter of a million? No, actually, it's almost a million. When you count Springfield, it's a million. Yeah, when you right. add Greene County and, and Springfield, it's a million. The last time I checked, Alaska had less than 300,000 Yeah. in the entire state, and half of those live in one city. Yeah, that makes sense. But um, anyway, Fairbanks, and I came down to Parks Highway, and I didn't go into Denali. I stopped and took pictures at the, the entrance. Been there before, didn't need to go back in. And you can only drive like the first 10 miles. Then you have to take a bus. 
if you want to go, and that's 100 miles. The bus will go 100 miles in, 100 miles out. Hmm. Um, it just keeps the traffic down. Those drivers understand the wildlife. Right. It doesn't get dead. You don't get dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, ended up in Telketna. And I have a bumper sticker, if you want to take a picture of it, that says, a quaint little drinking village with a climbing <laughs> problem. Because most people that climb Denali start in Telketna. Yeah. That's the big air base where they fly them up to base camp. And I did K2 aviation and landed on a glacier at 7,000 feet. This was back when you were hiking up there? No, no. This was on the trip. Oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah. yeah okay. So I, on the uh, motorcycle trip, you went over there to go get that. Yeah. That's I, amazing. I took, you know, you need to get a day off the bike. And I could back up to when I was in Toke. I took a day off and watched road race bikes for a day. Yeah. Well, tell the story about Denali and then we'll talk okay, about it. Okay. Denali is, I, uh, I was walking around Telketna. I got there kind of early afternoon and uh, it's a little village. You can walk entirely across Telketna in seven, eight minutes. Yeah. It's not big. It has a railroad terminal, an airport, two of those. One's grass, one's asphalt, concrete. And I want to say maybe two handfuls of buildings, 10. Right. There's not a lot there. Uh, most of them are restaurants, bars, or, well, most everything up there is both. It's a restaurant, bar, and a couple of hotels, and a campground at the far end. And... I want to say the Tanana River, it's been a while and I haven't looked at the map in a long time. There's a river that runs back there and I camped right next to the river. And this river is, it's a glacial runoff, so it's silty. You can't see, five feet out, you can see rocks at the bottom. Past five feet, everything is kind of a gray-blue. Yeah. Or a blue-gray, it's more gray than blue. Basically uh, like gravel runoff from the glacier. Uh, if you know what number twos are, yep. that's pretty much what's in that river, but they're smooth. Yeah. We see it They've as limestone that's been busted. The, 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 the glacier and the river has polished it all. But, uh, Telketna, I got a hold of K2 Aviation and for the lowly sum of like $465, we'll take you up and fly you around four acre Denali. Um, you'll go as high as 12,000 feet and you'll land on a glacier for an hour. And um, we were in a turbine otter, which is a single engine turbine. And uh, I sat in the back. I didn't want to sit in the front, let the pilot know side seat driving. <laughs> uh, I don't like it when people do it to me, so I wasn't going to do it to him. And uh, we landed. Uh, and if you see the photographs, everybody's bundled up and the pilot's the one in the short sleeve shirt. <laughs> yeah. And we're having a snowball fight in July. On top of a glacier. On top of a glacier at 7,000 feet. And there's other planes landing. There's other companies, tour companies that take people up. We came back. I've got video of it. I have, I don't know, probably 100 pictures of that flight. And it didn't last but maybe five hours total. Yeah. But uh, beautiful country. Rugged is not the right word. Uh, if you're up there, you better know what you're doing. It's... it's uh, the, Denali is taller than Everest if you look from where you start to get to the top. That's an interesting fact because it's it's the tallest mountain in North America, but it's not really taller than Everest. But I like what you're saying is well, from base camp to, to peak is well, what you're talking about, right? Base camp is at 1,000 feet. Right. Denali's 20,000 feet tall. Right. 
base camp at Everest at 17,000 feet. That's the plateau. Right. And you only go up to 29,000 feet. Right. Um, Molly wins. That's, That's a long hike. That is a, yes, epic. Yes. Epic. Uh, I have, when I was younger, I had grandeur of climbing mountains and I did climb some 14ers in Colorado and in Washington and that was enough. I don't have any inkling of, I'm not going to be the uh, 65 year old or 70 year old. I want to go climb Everest. No, um, I might go to base camp. That's about it. Hmm. But uh, that was pretty much Telketna and or Telketna, depending on the way you want to pronounce it. They pronounce it Telketna. At least everyone I, when I was there did. But if we want to back up to Toke, when I went to leave the next morning, there was like 10 guys around the 990 after I came out for breakfast. And I'm like, what's going on, fellas? And then I realized there are all these race prep road race bikes. Not a headlight, turn signal, brake light, slicks. There had to be 100 of them. They're all parked in the park. Your bike. Well, they're parked in the parking lot. There's not a whole lot of places to yeah. stop and have breakfast or stop, right. period. And, and I, what's going on with all this? And it's like, Tanacross is this weekend. Well, what's Tanacross? It's an old Army bomber, well, Army airfield. Yeah. Remember the, uh, well, not remember, but have you seen pictures of the old airports that are figure fours? Okay. This is an old retired bomber base. Yeah. And four or five times a year, they turn it loose to let guys road race on. That's awesome. And uh, there's a whole story for that day. Um, I met people there that I am still friends with yeah. today. Only because I lit a cigar, was walking through the pits, and a blonde was lighting a cigar, and I'm like, I have to meet her. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Reed, her husband was, her name is Heather. Reed, her husband was out riding. He's got a race prep, I think it was an R1. But... Uh, greatest people he's a lineman so when they have ice storms which happens a lot up there he's gone he uh he works his butt off yeah but uh, she's a school teacher and uh strange things I, I found out after is her grandfather started the Iditarod dog sled race wow it is a small world because that's going to come back um I actually stayed with him one day in Palmer um Right next to Wasilla, you can see Russia from here, uh, if you know that joke. Yes, I do. <laughs> but uh, came down to uh, Anchorage, uh, was looking for a place to stay. There's not a lot of camping in Anchorage. There's a lot of places around Anchorage. And uh, when I traveled for work, I have all these, what do you call it, priority club points or whatever. Oh, so yeah. I've been burning these things up the trip. That's how I pay for my hotel rooms. I don't. I just call them up in my priority club and how much, how many points is it for a room? Wait, I don't want to finish that story because I did want to ask about some of the logistics. Okay. Anyway, everything's booked. All the Holiday Inns are booked. And as I pull out of one of the Holiday Inns, I see the Harley shop. They have free camping. Yeah. Um, so I stopped, talked to the fellers there, and they're like, cool. And... At noon, they'll feed you chili for nothing. Yeah, winning. <laughs> Great Harley shop. And it is, in, in, in Anchorage, it's just a Harley shop. And they have this really interesting bear out front that's made out of old exhaust shields. That's fine. For those who don't know, Harley exhaust pipes have shields on them now, so when they turn blue, you can't see it. Yeah. It's covered with a chrome shield. Well, somebody had taken a bunch of old shields and made a bear. Yeah. And that sculpture is outside the dealership. That's cool. Anyway, logistics. 
Uh, it just first, you did all this trip, and I'm trying to think, did you have your GPS back then? Like, how did you yep. navigate? I had a Nuvi 550 that finally died about a month ago. Wow. <laughs> um, they still update it. You can still update maps for it. Yeah. But it, uh, the battery, which you can't change in it, um, finally wouldn't hold a charge long enough to do anything. Yeah. And uh, the touchscreen had died years ago. Uh, I would load routes on it and just one at a time so it would come up when it booted up because yeah. you couldn't gloved hand ungloved hand it the touch screen yeah. wouldn't calibrate anymore yeah so but i used the gps i did have a spot tracker with me that was part of the deal with some family members till yeah explain okay spot tracker and i have a gen one i still have it yeah. and i still occasionally use it they are Compared to what you have today, extremely rudimentary. There's like four buttons on the whole thing. One turns it on and off. One's the SOS. One's a canned message that says, I'm fine. The bike's broken. I've already contacted somebody to come get me. And one is, I'm done riding for the day. So my friends that were actively tracking me yeah. would know I was done riding for the day. They go to a, um, for the listeners, because I have one as well. i got a newer one. that they have, There's a website you can go to. So you give that website to people and they can watch where you've been um, and they can read those messages yeah. and you can set those messages up to send like texts to phones and things like yeah. that. And mine is so old that you could only drop a breadcrumb every 15 minutes. Yeah. You can change that now. You can drop it, I think every two. I think you have to pay extra for some of that but, stuff. Yeah. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> but yeah, the... Uh, There's a story behind the uh, spot tracker. When I was on a paved road, I would put it in the tank bag, in the clear part of the tank bag so I could see it. Yeah. And if I was going off-road, gravel or anything, I would actually wear it on my wrist. Yeah. Because I was afraid of, I'm going to end up on this ditch, and the bike's going to end up in that ditch, and I may not be able to crawl to that ditch. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, I had kept mine in the tank bag for a long time, but recently... I've started clipping it to my camelback so it's attached to me. Um, it's not probably the best for signal, but I've been looking at, you know, finding the best places. Do I put it, like, so, it's great because some of the new jackets have, like, the back pad and the zippers mm -hmm. on the outside and stuff. I'm like, yeah, that's where I would probably like to put it. Um, I just don't want it flopping around on my on my shoulder because I've seen well, that happen before. The Gen 1s had an elastic band on them, mm -hmm. and it was so big I could put it over my glove and over my jacket, and it would sit on my wrist. I need to check that. And it, it's got plenty of yeah. view, um, and it has two lights on it. One tells you that it flashes it's on, and one flashes green when it has a signal, yellow if it's spotty, and red if it's not. Hmm. So occasionally you just glance down, yep, it's flashing when I need it to, you know. Yeah. Two greens, we're good. Uh, other part of the logistics is like as far as riding gear, I used a uh, Killy jacket from First Gear. Yeah, uh, you bought that Kilimanjaro jacket when it was still like the greatest jacket ever. They've kind of watered it down a little bit. I know. Then. I uh, when I when it finally died, and it died because of UV. Yep. I picked it up one day and almost pulled a sleeve off of it. Yeah. It it just the outside of it disintegrated. You had that jacket forever. 
uh, I bet almost eight, nine years. Yes. Like you had that thing for a long time. Uh, the one I have now, uh, I couldn't tell you. First year made it, but I couldn't tell you what version it is. It's much, you can make it fit better. It has a lot more adjustment inside Yeah. to make it fit tighter. You, it, you know, it has the snaps on the sleeves to make that work tighter. So Kilimanjaro jacket for folks who don't know. So that's that uh, waterproof outer layer. Zipper vents. Um, I think the one you got probably came with a thermal liner on the inside, which was pretty awesome, if I remember correctly. It was. It also had armor in the elbows, the back, the yeah. shoulders, um, and it had more pockets than I would ever use. Yeah, it was like a $350, maybe 400 maybe. It uh, was a really good deal when I looked at them. I got a really good I got it for like 350 mm -hmm. up in Columbus. Um but it worked. It did everything I needed to do. Um, I still have the pants. Well, that's what I was curious. That, in, um, in July, so you had the full Kilimanjaro kit. Pants had a, probably a thermal in them too. I didn't have the Kilimanjaro pants. I went with a different one because oh, of my okay. inseam. And I bought mesh pants. Yeah. They're vented. They do have a lot of armor in them. Um, so like when it was raining all the time, I would just put rain, rain, rain yeah. pants on. And then have the jacket make sure it was over the pants. Yeah. Um, that's kind of funny when you have to stop and nature calls because you have all these layers on. It's like you have to get rid of the layers before anything happens. So it can be uh, difficult tedious. at times. Tedious. That's a good word. Yeah. But, um, and I used uh, Garnet oiled. I don't remember what they're called. They are an offshoot of their... Uh, they're like trials boots. They're, they're like a trials boot, but I think they called them an adventure boot. Mm. They are very comfortable to walk around in. I still have them and still use them. Yeah. Uh, they're kind of getting long in the tooth, but they work. Um, you can stand up all day. Uh, one of the things about the 990, one of the things about it is the seat, at least the stock one, is not what you would call... 600 miles or 700 miles comfortable. Yeah. Uh, I have upgraded since then to a Resnasco racing seat and the back half of it is very wide and very comfortable. So you just, yeah. if you're doing it on a road ride, you just sit back, you know, scoot back, stretch out a little bit and it's very comfortable, but it's still very narrow in the front. So when you play off road, it works. But uh, there were times uh, side saddle and I stood, I think through the Yukon almost the entire time. Yeah, uh, I could see sunshine, sunshine uh, a few miles ahead of me, and I never got to it. It was like the cloud just kept following me. <laughs> but I have many pictures that you can see the sunshine. I'm never in it. <laughs> That's funny. But uh, it was okay. It was just a drizzly rain. It's not bad to ride in. The roads just stayed damp. They never got shiny wet. So if you're going to ride in the rain, that's the best way. I was never concerned about traction, yeah. you know, going around corners. Um, by the way, Alaska does have a law I wish to, the lower 48 would adopt. If you're traveling slow, now most all their roads, except in the cities, all their roads are two-lane. If you're holding three or more vehicles up, you get the ticket. <laughs> For not pulling <laughs> For over. For not pulling over. <laughs> That's uh, funny. You know, time is money, and there's a lot of trucks up there, and they have to get to where they need to go. Yeah. So if you're in your 40-foot Winnebago and looky-looing, which is a great thing to do. I'm not saying it's bad, 
but be a little courteous, pull off to the right, let everybody pass, pull back out. It's not like there's a lot of traffic. Right. Uh, I think on the trip from Fairbanks all the way down to Anchorage, I may have seen 20 vehicles. That How is far? something that was that was very strange the farther north you get, even in Canada on the Alcan. You don't see vehicles. Right. There was one time I stopped, the engine quit ticking, and I sat there for 45 minutes and didn't see anyone. Did you see any nature while you were there? <laughs> no, it was just pulled off. There was a neat little pull off by this bridge. There was a little waterfall under the bridge. I stopped, take pictures, took some video, was there for 45 minutes, and nobody went by. Not one truck, one car, one bike, nothing. So... Kind of with the gear, if you did not bring it with you and you need it, you should have brought it. Now, I did go, that was one of the funny things about crossing the Canadian border. If you guys remember from the beginning of this, the idea was to take Dad to Alaska and leave him. He was in my left saddlebag for half, well, a third of the trip anyway. And when I crossed into Canada, they always ask you, do you have anything to declare? And I will admit... I had forgot all about him being in the left saddlebag. It's not something that was on my mind. The reason for the trip was. Right. But him being there wasn't. Yeah. No. Do you have any firearms? No. Do you have any bear spray? Yes. What does it say on the can? Bear spray. Yeah. And it was in my tank bag. And can we see it? So I unclipped the tank bag, flipped it up. Don't touch it. That's all we need to see. Close the tank bag back up. You know, I wanted it handy just in case. Uh, yeah. Like I said, that's like my number one fear is becoming yeah. a grizzly meal. Well, there is the joke, what does grizzly scat smell like? Bear spray. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and if it's a hiker, it's got bells in it. I have not heard that before. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's funny. Anyway, um, but yes, uh, the statute of limitations is way over. Yes, I carried human remains through this country of Canada and didn't even go back into uh, Alaska which is kind of weird. I've never crossed a border where you leave one country and it was 60 miles. There's a 60 mile, I think it's 60 miles. There's a large space. It took me about an hour to before you get to the U.S. Customs. Wow. I didn't know that. There's either. a big, it's a big space. Yeah. And uh, going through customs into Alaska, being a U.S. citizen was like, have a nice trip. I mean, that's, it, it, that's, here's my license. They just wanted to see, yes, I have one. This awesome. was, uh, well, passport, I'm sorry, not license. Uh, I pulled my passport out. They looked at it. I think they scanned it, handed it back, and said, have a nice trip. That is not how I get treated in Detroit when I come back um, to the United yeah. States. <laughs> I think it may have to do with volume. I have no doubt. They're probably happy to see people. What would you say? It was 45 minutes between yeah. seeing anyone. Yes. <laughs> no doubt that's the case. I guess, so up to this point, you're saying it took you seven days to reach the Alaskan border? It took me seven days. I left Saturday morning, and I pulled into Toke Saturday afternoon. So for seven days, mm -hmm. where did you sleep? Um, the first night, I, well, I in the U.S., I slept in, until Calgary. Well, I take that back. Until Murrow Lake, mm -hmm. I slept in hotels. 
And you had points. I had points. I was just burning points down. Yeah, and do it. it just made it. I didn't have to sleep in a tent. Yes, I had tent, sleeping bag, pad. Well, I had everything. At this stage in your career, you spent like 300 nights a year in a hotel, if I remember correctly. Yes, I did. Yes. And so, I really didn't want to see a hotel, but it just made the time. trip time easier because yeah. I don't have to pack all this up. I would park the bike in front of the hotel, put the cover over it, lock the cover. Yeah. Um, I'm a firm believer in out of sight, out of mind. If they don't see it, they won't steal it. Lock the cover? Lock the cover. The cover has a grommet on the bottom, and it just, yes, they could cut the cover and be in it in a second. But it, it keeps prying eyes out of it. Yes, somebody is, just can't come up and yeah, pick the skirt up, so to speak. Yeah, this would be a hard target. I didn't never thought of that, because that's a good tip. Like I'm saying, these are the reason why I ask these questions. Like, okay. I would have never thought that, you know, you have an option to make it difficult to take the cover off. It was just a little luggage lock. Nothing, it, I mean, you can pick it with a paperclip in a second but it meant that someone was going to have to waste time to yes. investigate and they may find they didn't want to steal anything anyway yeah. um, well one trip where was i going oh grand canyon and i left from work yeah and someone why is your bike covered i said because there's a lot of things on it i don't want to disappear yeah. i was loaded pretty much the same way for that trip as i was for this because i only plan i only packed for like three or four days. That was my question, yeah. Um, it doesn't matter. You're going to need to stop, do laundry. Um, I could look up what I packed, but it was like five t-shirts, and these are all wicking t-shirts. Um, we'll just say five underlayers, mm -hmm. socks. And I think I packed one pair of jeans, and I think a pair of sandals. Yeah. You know, for things like showers at campgrounds, things you know, and walk around camp, wear your jeans and boots. And yeah, and uh, I tried to stay light. I did pack a complete tool set just in case. Never needed it. Knock on wood. Let's talk through the toolkit real quick before we move. Well, on. I used this stock, like now. I used the stock toolkit on the bike. What comes in the KTM stock? The stock toolkit comes with uh, three sockets, three wrenches. There's like a fourteen. What I think it's this? a 9, a 10, a 12, a 14. And a GD13. What's a GD? Oh, a, a yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those Austrians and their bloody 13 obsession. I don't get it. And there's a, like three sockets. The only tool in that toolkit that I find difficult to use is there's an Allen wrench, or what you believe is an Allen wrench. The short side is like a 4-millimeter Allen. Yeah. The long side is a very small Torx. That's cool. Well, here's the problem. It's the short side. So you have this little short handle, and you're trying to turn a Torx bolt. But you got a sock. You got a box end wrench, right? Yes, but some places you can't get your fingers yes. and the no, wrench yeah, in. Yeah, right. It does have a pair of... Um, pliers that work. Pli well, they're kind of like a little short six-inch set of Lyman's pliers. Yeah. They got cutters on them and their pliers. You can use that to twist yep. that thing if you got um, And it has a very neat little speed wrench that you can put the sockets on. And it's a six millimeter uh, hex socket. Yeah. Well, no, for Allen wrench. Yeah, I know. Yeah, okay. But the problem with that is, is almost every bolt on that, you can use a socket or a Torx. Yeah. They are both. Right. One bolt has both. Uh, actually, that is, for all my cussing about the 13 millimeter, yeah. That's one of the things I like about KTM is because you do have that option is mm -hmm. that you can you can use a socket or a Torx depending on what you have available. It also comes with a 14 millimeter Allen wrench. The and it comes with the wrenches for the wheels, so you can take you know they get a flat yeah. and take the wheel off. 
and uh, all that. Um, when I found the 14 millimeter Allen wrench, when I first got the bike, I'm like, what in the world am I going to do with this? <laughs> they give you almost enough tools to overhaul that bike. Right. So you can take the side cover plug out and you can turn the engine over with that wrench. Nice. That That's designed to fit in there and you turn it over. So for Red River Scramble goers that uh, find the Kraken, yes. they might want to have that. Well, <laughs> the problem with a 990, at least, is if you point the bike straight up, turn it over very slowly and the water will come out the exhaust. Yeah. You are not going to take the spark plugs out. You're because saying if you if you point the nose in the air, no, and you have to pick the right. Take you the pick front, up the front wheel slowly, all the way up on a tree, so yeah. that bike is sitting 90 degrees to ground. It'll it'll run out of the it'll exhaust. run exhaust and turn it over slowly, so it pumps the water out of the engine. And if you'll you never went have that to far, take the spark plug out. You can't. You can, but the problem is, is here's the procedure: take off the seat. Yeah. Take off the glove box. Take off the breather. Take off the fuel injection units. Right. Now you can get to the spark plugs. After you unplug them and take the coil out, and you have to buy a 70, well, you don't have to. You can do it. There's other ways to do it. But if KTM sells the plug wrench, yeah. it's $70, and it's a 14 millimeter. That is a serious pain in the And day. it's also about seven and a half inches long. That's how far down that plug is buried in the head. That, uh, that drain procedure should probably be in the owner's manual because that will definitely save you time. Yes. I need to bookmark this part of the podcast for somebody. Apparently. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so basically, you just kind of push the bike up a tree. Um, I had do all kinds of fun things. I carry one strap with me because sometimes I do keep the center stand on it. Some guys don't, but there is a way to strap your bike to a tree so you can get one tire or the other off. Yep. And I carry the strap just in case I get wet. I can strap the bike straight up to the tree. Yeah. If it's just me, and now I can do what I need to do with the strap holding the bike to the tree. Ariman on his YouTube channel just did that the other day. He did the tire change on his T7 like that okay. with just the kickstand. And I'm yes. like, I'm an idiot. I should have thought of that. I was always you just going to throw my kickstand on the side to the tree. Yeah, he's like, you only strap need it over. one inch off the ground. I yeah. can just strap it to a tree. It's easy. Here on yeah. the East Coast, I should say that there are places where well, there are trees. But it's funny that you say that trees. After Anchorage, yeah. I went to Seward, and I camped out on the beach at Seward. There's a nice campground right on the beach. This feller shows up. Uh, I don't know what bike he was on. It was some older black and yellow BMW, and he is a hammock camper. <laughs> yeah. There is one tree on this beach, and it's about four feet tall. And he's trying to figure out how to set his hammock he's, up. He's a homeless person is what you're saying. <laughs> well, he has a home. It's just a little challenged. Yeah. He ended up tying one end of it to his handlebars on the kickstand side. Man, that freaks me out. Yeah, you and me both because I'm afraid. Yeah, no, uh, that's not me. No, the night you're going to be on the ground wearing a bike. <laughs> yes, yeah, right on top of your head. Did you wear your helmet when you went to sleep oh, last night? Yeah. No, thank you. But anyway, the other end was kind of attached to what was what it was a tree or is a tree. By the way, that's a beautiful view because you're looking right out the sound. Yeah. Um, you're sitting on the beach to the left. When you're on the beach is the town. Uh, and you see all the fishing boats. And to the right is just ocean. And you're in this little inlet. Uh, and I jokingly, the house at the very end of the spit was for sale. It's like, I found my new home. <laughs> 
until uh, I looked at the price tag. Well, th <laughs> this is a relevant comment, too, because you're also a bit of a hammock camper occasionally, haven't you been? Yes, I am a hammock camper, but knowing that you may not always find a tree, I carried a uh, MSR uh, Hubba Hubba. It's a two-man tent. Yeah. But I use a two-man tent, one, because I would like the room and I can bring all the gear, that is the, the saddlebags, everything in the tent. That's my struggle. It's, there's and, not room for my stuff. It's just my and helmet and my boots. Even the boots come in the tent. Uh, in a prior life, when I used to do dumb things, leave the boots outside because, face it, hiking boots can uh, be a little odorous. Yeah. Put up with it because... You may find things in your boots in the morning that you didn't want in them. It's really bizarre. As I told that story the other day that I obviously lived in the desert, as you well know, yeah. for, you know, yeah. 24 months on off, so so to speak. But yeah, for the first 11 months, I shook my boots out every single morning. Yeah. It's kind of weird that that habit doesn't stick to this day, but I remember it. Mm -hmm. But um, for for what it's worth to listeners that are in it, we I had boot blousers, which I'm sure you've seen mm -hmm. those like rubberized canvas hook things or whatever it was. Yep. I always put them in the boot to remind my dumb ass to shake them out to yes. make sure I didn't pick up any special critters. Yes. So uh, some of those critters don't like being stepped on. No. They, uh, yeah. Another, again, you're in a strange place where who knows what's in that boot and ain't nobody coming to get you. No. <laughs> so where did you, I mean, you, we went a long way around, but uh, so you stayed in a couple hotels did yes, you... I stayed in a couple. On the way up, it was pretty much hotels. Including Canada. In Canada. I did stay in one, if you want to call it a lodge. In the le when I went to Murrow Lake, that was a lodge. The first lodge you come to. If you make it past the first one, you get to the second one, you're going to spend a lot more money than I did. Huh. Uh, I spent like 60 bucks for the room. and But the next one is a lodge. Oh, it's a, like a tourist destination? Yes, because oh, it's okay. on the lake. I was on the other side of the street from the lake. Yeah. This was on the lake on a little jetty, and yeah. uh, I think it was like 350 bucks a night. Wow. And, and and it was like five miles up the road. And you're doing 600-mile days-ish? Six to seven. Time, and gas is readily available? Well, funny you should say that. Yeah, because I was like, I know, I know there's, you know, some, you know, there's some changes to the bike downstairs that <laughs> well, indicates no, no. fuel. Well, this is before I did that. I know that. <laughs> and you've heard this story, but not many people have not... On the way, when I left the house, I felt fine, but I, I never get sick to my stomach, ever. I could be throwing up, but I'm still not sick to my stomach. Yeah. But I woke every, up every morning and I was like, why am I sick to my stomach? Until I got to Calgary. And in Calgary, I sit down and I have the notes here. Remember I told you yep. that I sit down on that little three by three card Yeah. here and I had what was called or is called the mile post and it tells you about everything pretty much on every mile of the Alcan. This it's a book. A, a, okay. It's a it's publication a that yes. explains what the, all of the details of the Alcan yeah. to plan your trip. So Red Deer is 90 miles away. They should have gas. Edmonton is a hundred miles away, 109 miles. That's not Edmonton, Alberta. It's right. Edmonton. That would be British Columbia. And then White Court and then Valley View. And I would go, I can get this far because the bike with the stock tanks, 160 miles, the fuel light comes on. Yeah. You got a gallon and a half left. And that Austrian blonde is thirsty. Oh, yeah. Uh, 40 miles a gallon 
if you're not hitting the throttle hard. So I sit down and here's a 554 mile day. Yeah. And I wrote down every place I should find gas. And if I didn't find it, I had a backup I could go back to. Yeah. So, and then I did the next day and the next day, 483 miles that day, 394 miles that day. And that was to get in the tote. And all these places took credit card or you had cash? I had both. But, uh, and they took American or did you exchange? No, I, uh, they will take, most every place will take American, but there is a uh, exchange. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them, when you go farther north, there is a lot less, I guess the nice way to say it is a lot less government. Yeah. You're starting to get on the edge. I mean, uh, much past like the Yukon, when you cross into the Yukon and you're actually in on an Alcan, you're in British Columbia for a long time. Yeah. Uh, you're in the Yukon for a short time. But once you hit the Yukon border, there's nothing up there. If you didn't, like I said before, if you didn't bring it, uh, that's why it has the tanks it has on it now. I don't have to stop. <laughs> and for those who are wondering, uh, stock, the 990 carries five and a half gallons. Uh, right now, it'll carry about 14 and a half. <laughs> And no, you don't have to fill them up. And I rarely do just riding around here. But uh, when I want to make time on the highway, need to get someplace, or I'm going someplace I don't know, I like to ride out west a lot. And there are places that are 250 miles between fuel stops. And for all you desert riders out there that have two-gallon tanks, you keep going back to town. I don't. (laughs) Now, I'm not going to go rip off 400 miles in a day playing in the sand. But I can do a couple 200-mile days or 400-mile days, and I don't have to keep going back to get fuel. Yeah. Yes, it gets a little heavy when you first take off, but about halfway through, it's just like any. And the new fuel tanks are actually lighter than the old ones. And it's the, So the new fuel tanks are, what is it, like, I forget what you, you got a two gallons in the back and the rest of it's in the front to get I have, to 13? I have 12 in the front, two sixes. Uh, they're Equilines, and Equiline says five, but they swell to six in like two minutes. Wow. Uh, and the back is, uh, it's, uh, I'm trying to remember. I know the feller's name that made it. I can't remember his company. Is that Camel? No, it's okay. Ned Cease is who did it. And uh, for some of you guys may know, he raced at the car rally a few years ago, and I you know, sent in my money, and he gave me a bunch of swag, and yeah. I helped. This was back when the car was in South America. Yeah. 20, I think that would have been 2018. Um, may have been it may have been 2017, I think, is when okay. he was wrote it. He finished. Uh, and for just a semi-pro high into a, uh, I guess he wasn't a pro. He did never was never paid to race like right. a, what you think a pro racer is. But he raced a lot. Um, he also does double take mirrors. That's his company also. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, I'm a big fan. I'm but I'm, I'm trying to remember the name. Um, Somebody's screaming at we, their phone right now. I know, but <laughs> it makes the fuel tank. It's You replace your left um, exhaust can, and you do it a two and a one. You lose maybe five horsepower way up on top just because it's breathing through one can. Um, anybody that's written on a 990, if you wind that thing all the way up, you don't need that extra five I, horsepower. That's a good point. I mean, you and I are all over the place, but that's a good point because I have ridden 
I rode Tom's SMT 990, and I was not a big fan of that because I did not like the way it makes power. I like yours a lot better because the way that two into one has shifted the torque curve down, yeah. it is much mm -hmm. more my type of riding. It's not been remapped. It's got the stock map in it from the day it left Baderhaven. But going to two into one, when I first got it, anything below three grand, and it did not like it. No. And now you can go down the 25, 24, mm -hmm. and just roll the throttle on, and it just picks itself up and walks away. Yeah. It's not crazy out of the hole. It's not right. going to sit there and spin the tire, but you can leave the clutch out and just roll on the throttle, and it just picks itself up. And Yeah. And like you said, the weight's on there. And I wanted yep. to follow that up because I finally got, because I've got that 4.7 on my Yamaha. Mm -hmm. And I, once you have, if you're, again, yeah. a person who loves to be solo and doesn't want to stop frequently, there's nothing more, like, releasing and the feeling of freedom than having, like, 200-plus miles of gas. You're like, shit, screw this. I'll go wherever the hell I want. Well, this past summer, I bought a 450. What's the very first car I did? <laughs> See I that 2.8-gallon tank? Nope. 4.1. Anyway, yeah. back to the Alaska trip real quick. Um, so you, you stayed mostly in hotels on the Alcan and mm. had planned all those gas stops. Yep. That was the night in in uh, Calgary. Next morning I woke up right as I felt great. I think the trip out to Calgary, that's what was gnawing at me, is not knowing, knowing that the bike had a limit to how far I could ride it on a fuel tank. I, I and, want to reinforce this with the listeners. What's that? Because I've known you for a long time. Yeah. You're the friend that I'm envious of because you're the guy that will wake up one day and go, I'm riding to Key West today and get on your bike and just leave. You are, the wind takes you mm -hmm. where you want to go. Yeah. So I want to reinforce to the people listening to this story that this is the only time that I have ever spoken to you <laughs> yeah. where you're talking about being nervous about, frankly, not having a plan. Right. It's very bizarre and well, out of character for you. Yes, but around... <laughs> The continuous, right? You know, forty-eight gas stations are around every corner. I don't disagree. <laughs> like I said, if you didn't bring it with you, right? It's no, not. I'm not. I'm not at all trying well, to take away from the gravity. I guess I'm trying to add to it. Yeah. Like this is my buddy Jeff. Yeah. Who just might wake up today and go, ah, hell, I think I'm gonna ride to Seattle. What? Why yeah. not? And just go. Well, it's like <laughs> it's not quite the same, but in the sandbox. You needed to know where your gas was coming from. Yeah. <laughs> you just didn't go. Right. No, it's, I brought that up because I remember how much that possessed me yeah. as an early motorcyclist. And I think other people listening right now mm -hmm. may currently experience that. That yeah. one of the reasons why they don't go out on their own is a little bit because of uh, range anxiety, as they yeah. call it. Yep, it um, could be. And, and I just wanted to reiterate that, that hanging out with you a little bit um, and some other people have changed my view of motorcycles mm -hmm. because it is like, no, Drew, just let go and just go with it. Yeah. But this is one of those moments where it's like, I cannot. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I said, once I let, when I did this and I have my notes in front of me for those listening and I still have those Wingate by Wyndham. I have four oh, of these yeah, little four it. by three inch little pieces, they little notepads. Oh, it's gold. And I have all of it. Yeah, that's gold. Yeah. Um, this... I wouldn't call it a diary, whatever you want to call it. It's just my rides. And if you go to the front of it, it's for my kids. So when I go take off someplace, they kind of know why and it's something for them later. I, 
sitting here now, because I've been laying some plans for myself to some degree, I, I want to make sure I do that because I think, I think you'll remember it more at the end. <laughs> and I think the days, I mean, you tell me, I assume the days have more value because of the effort you've put into making yes. sure you recall all the details. Yeah. And I, I used to, before this, I would put miles down. That was the first thing I did. Yeah. How many miles did I do today? Trip two. You know, you always do trip one to go through, okay, next fuel stop, next fuel stop, next fuel Trip two is, you know, reset it when I left the hotel or camping, and what did I do at the end of the day? Good one, yeah. And then I'd reset it when I left the hotel or left the campsite, um, and then that's what I would write down. And I quit doing that. It's, it just seemed like, I don't know if rigid is the right word, but more fluid. I don't really care anymore how many miles I do a day yeah. and that's one of the things I wrote in a few of them I've since you asked me to do this I read through a few of my trips and one of the recurring themes is slow down <laughs> yeah quit now the Alaska trip I kind of had to go because I had a certain time and Calgary is also where I found out my parents were originally supposed to my stepfather and my mother were going to meet me in Fairbanks they're not Fairbanks Anchorage I'm sorry and I found out my stepfather had gotten sick. They weren't going to be able to make it. And they had already booked everything. They could, oh, get their, yeah. they could get their tickets back, the money for their flights, but not for the ferry. Right. Because they were going to take the ferry back. That's one of the reasons I took the ferry back. Right. I bought their tickets. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of funny. It actually, for two people, it's cheaper than for one person and a motorcycle. <laughs> because the motorcycle is hazardous material. Oh, yeah. So it cost $37.50 more <laughs> than two people. Wow. Anyway, but I think we were in Seward. Um, the ferry terminal is in Whittier. And one of the things they say in Alaska is the weather is shittier in Whittier. <laughs> to get to Whittier, for those who don't know, you have to drive through a mountain for two and a half miles. It's a two and a half mile tunnel. Tunnel, yes. And here's the fun part. It's a train tunnel. Now think very carefully. I am on a 990 Adventure. It has a 21 by 2.1 at the time front tire. Yes. There are train tracks. Oh, I have to cross the tracks Lord. and ride. How wide are the train tracks? Cherry at four foot eight inches? Yeah. For two and a half miles. That sucks. And there's no lights. It's a say, train tunnel. I was going to say, let me guess the headlight on that. Oh, it's great. It's good. It's good. Yeah. But the thing is, is there's no lights in the tunnel. Yeah. And the tunnel's not straight, it's curved up. Yes. So until you're about a third of the way in, you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And it helps when you see it. Oh, I bet. Because you just kind of stare at it. Aim at it, yeah. Well, target fixation, really. Right. So you, it makes it easier. And the bikes go in last. Why would you have the bikes? The semis go through, then the cars go through, then the bikes. Why would you make the bikes go last? I, you tell me. Because if I miss and <laughs> stick my front wheel between the train track and the concrete, I stop. They figure the that pickup out. truck behind me, yeah. maybe not. That uh, that that does make sense. I don't particularly like being behind vehicles, but in this case, so they they just send traffic one at a time, and then they come through well, and then they send it the other way. Every two hours, the trains go through one way or the other. Yeah, and then after the trains are done, then vehicles can go through. But it's every two hours, so one hour it's this way. Yes. One hour, it's this way. And I wanted to go, I kind of did a recon mission one day to see where I needed to be to yeah. catch this ferry. 
So I went through and I went back. So I went through this tunnel three times. <laughs> because when I came back out the first time, I ended up going to Homer. You can camp on the spit in Homer for free. Okay. Because Homer is at the end of this very long, thin spit of land. That's why they call it the spit. And it's the quote unquote halibut fishing capital of the world. Okay. So they catch barn doors. <laughs> if you know what a halibut is, it's like reeling up a barn door from the bottom of the ocean. That's funny. Um, I'm not picturing halibut off the road, but obviously I know the halibut, the eyes on one, both eyes are on one side. I did not know that. Yeah, because they sit on the bottom. Yeah. Okay, now I'm following you. Okay. And yeah. um, that's when I learned you want one less than 90 pounds, but bigger than 50 pounds. Because hmm. if they're much bigger than 100 pounds, they're not too good to eat. Yeah. If they're less than 50, I think you're not allowed to keep them. At least I don't think then you were. Wow. But can you imagine reeling up something that the size of a barn door from the bottom of the ocean? <laughs> How did it taste is what I want to know. It's a white meat. It's... Did you, like anything like cod or anything else. I didn't go fishing, but there is every place down there. Well, it's, or, it's relevant to the conversation. Um, so at what point did you stop staying in hotels? Uh, pretty much when I left the second day in Toke. So you camped at every opportunity. Yes. Uh, the only place I stayed inside the rest of the trip is Heather and Reed said when you're in Anchorage or in Palmer, stop by. I stayed there one night. And I got up kind of early and left. I actually rolled the bike out of the driveway before I started. I didn't want to wake Heather up. We had yeah. already left. Um, but uh, I stayed, let's see, Telketna was in a tent. Uh, Fairbanks was in a tent. Uh, Seward was in a tent. Uh, uh, the Harley shop. I spent two nights, two different nights Is this there. Like in their parking lot? Uh, they have like a picnic area off to the side. Yeah. Now, what was funny is the next, the last night I was in, in, on the bike in Alaska. Yeah. We'll say it that way. The parts manager came out when they closed about 5, 5.30. And he knew we were all waiting for the ferry. Yeah. There's a couple of Goldwing trikes, a couple of Hondas. It didn't matter what bike you were on. Sure. And it's drizzling. And he knew we were gonna we're all going under the ferry. He goes, if you guys want, in about an hour, move all your tents and bikes under the awning. There's like this hundred foot wide, as wide as the building is, twenty yeah. foot deep awning. That way in the morning, everything's dry. Yeah. Cool. Great guys. Got nothing. These these they're they even give you a code to the bathroom that's in the basement or on the where you're at cool. because it goes downhill into their parking lot. Yeah showers and it doesn't cost you a dime That's they would amazing. like you to donate but it doesn't well it, i mean there was a couple there that, that put their tent up and were there for three weeks and they did day rides and yeah. they camped at the harley shop in anchorage every night they left their tent there the entire time you're giving birth to ideas this is awesome <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well and, and who knows i mean obviously it's you know 10 plus years since that happened yeah, um, but it, but it's worthwhile because I'm sure there are people that are listening that are not big fans of Harley Davidson, but you and I have talked a lot. Yeah. This is a selling point that the reality mm -hmm. is is there is a dealer there, and I think everyone who is listening knows there's a big difference between a Harley dealer and your average Japanese motorcycle yeah. dealer. They have we'll call it deeper pockets to say the yeah. least. Well, I can say it this way: 
Yes, I ride Harleys. I like Harleys. I am not a fan of dealerships. Yeah. I know we have to have them. That's fine. At least for now. Yes. <laughs> there are a few car companies that are trying to fix that. But like the trip from Key West, when I came back up, I don't know where the oil went, but for some reason the oil light on my electric light flickered. So I stopped and put a quart in it. And it was more than a quart low, so I put another half a quart in it. And I was in, as a friend of mine calls it, L.A., Lower Alabama. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for you guys that know, uh, I can never pronounce his last name, Doug Worth, Round the World Doug. Okay. I know his sister. She used to be a bartender over. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Because okay. I was talking about him to somebody. He's, you know Doug? Yeah, he's my brother, blah, blah, blah. I mean, anyway. It's a smaller world. Yeah, the world is very small. Because I kept running into these Mexicans this entire trip. I left that out a lot of it. But every place there was an ice cream shop, they were that's there. where I found them. That's funny. <laughs> Three BMW GS 1200s, yeah. one guy and two couples. Every ice cream shop. That's funny. Everyone I went by, I see those hey, same man. three bikes. You know what you like, right? But on that but, trip, but no, West. yeah, but they rode up from uh, Mexico City. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's a trip. But you're talking about being in the court low and yeah. But I stopped in. Uh, uh, where is Marshall Space Center? Northern Bur Alabama, Bur Birmingham, Huntsville. No, Huntsville. I stopped in Huntsville, Harley. I pulled in at four thirty. And I said, I just need an oil change. I told him what happened. And he goes, I don't have time to get to you tonight. And then I was like, okay. And I kind of wandered around a little bit. And I don't collect T-shirts anymore. I just collect the little poker chips. Yeah. So I picked one of those up. And he goes, do you just need an oil change? Yes. If you just sell me the oil and give me a pan, I'll change it myself. Pull around back right now. Ten minutes and I was gone. Yeah. They changed my oil. Everything was cool. Wow. Yeah, so I, they, you know, I don't have a lot of experience with, but just one other, it's none of them Japanese. It was KTM dealer. And um, I'm, I'm assuming dealerships are like people. Yeah. Some are good. Some are not so good. And some are pretty much, we won't go there. It, I mean, it's, it's relevant to when you're talking about, because you talk about the time frame. Um, mm -hmm. And I've talked on the show a lot recently about economics and how it's affecting the market right now. I would assume right now is a very, we'll call it interesting time to be a motorcyclist and to operate a dealership. I would imagine that post downturn, it was a much, frankly, better time to mm -hmm. be a consumer and be all these dealers because they had been through a very painful time. Unfortunately, I, I have said elsewhere, I'm afraid COVID propped up dealers that, frankly, are not good dealers. Um, so we will see where they are in another year or two. Well, I'll say it, the, the local KTM dealer to me yeah. is getting way more and more into four-wheelers, not yeah. not ATVs. Rate, what are they, Razors? The well, big side kind of side-by-sides side yeah. um, little Jeeps. Yeah, right. Because yeah. well, they're the size of the old Jeeps. Yeah, they're they got a they got a good harness, and you can hold a beer and a windshield or a steering wheel at the same time. Unfortunately, for some people, yeah, we've talked about that on the show yeah. too. Hey, but, I walked into our other dealer in Springfield the other day, and I noticed the same thing. Like, huh, half of this motorcycle dealership just became a side by side dealer. Yes, I don't blame them for making money, but I'm I'm nervous. Yes, that's for sure. And anyway, uh, after Seward or Homer, and going to Whittier. It was time to get on the boat, got on the boat, strapped the bike down, uh, and 
when you sign up for this, they tell you you need to bring your own straps. When you get there, they're going to hand you four six-inch ratchets, ratchet straps. Wow. These things are made to hold cars, semis. Yeah. Because this ferry is 400-something feet long, and it holds, it holds semis and everything else. Yeah. So when you go to crank on that ratchet strap, don't. Because <laughs> yeah. the handle's a foot long, yeah. and you can bend that motorcycle in half in a second. Because I watched a guy with a, it was a trike, a, a Honda trike, and he, I'm like, if I was you, I would just put one strap over the seat and be done with it. It can't go anywhere. Yeah. It can't fall over. Well, I, hell, on a trike, you could even strap the rear wheels down and be good. Yeah. So, but he was like, yeah. I'm like, don't do that. He was an older gentleman, and he was starting to pull on that ratchet strap. And I'm like, don't do that. Just a couple clicks, you're good. Yeah. But uh, the bikes, all the bikes that were on there, there was probably half a dozen, maybe 10. None of them moved. Um, you got to go down and check every six hours. They would open oh, up. Oh, that's right. It's a four-day. Yeah. yeah, it's a four-day trip. Uh, we left Whittier, went to Yakutat. And I think I was kind of fortunate that I did take the trip that way. Because I got to see parts of Alaska that I couldn't see right. on the bike. You cannot drive to Yakutat. Yeah. There are no roads that go from anywhere to go there. And then uh, I got to see Haines and Ketchikan and Juno. And you can drive to Haines. You cannot drive to the other two. Yeah. So I got to see those. And I didn't get off the boat in Prince Rupert. We were only there for like two hours, enough to get people and vehicles on and off and on. And then Bellingham, that's where I got off at, is in Bellingham, but it was a four-day cruise. And it was a little different than being on a big gray boat like I was used to. Um, one, I didn't have to work. Right, yeah. Um, uh, they feed you. Uh, there is a bar, if that's what you're going to call it. I forget what they call it at sea, but yes, there is canteen. a place to canteen to get libations. And uh, I made some friends there. Um was one it, or two of them I keep email in touch with. Was the wildlife worth watching when you see Well, at sea, whale, you see you? whales. We did see whales just, just for a second. And you have to be... The people that get video of whales breaching are extremely lucky. <laughs> right. That or they just set a camera up and leave it. Yeah. And that two or three seconds the whale breaches took them three days. I believe it. To get it. Because when somebody would holler, there's a whale, by the time you turned your head, all you saw was spray. Yeah. Um, eagles. Uh, Ketchikan. Uh, the only eagle I saw the entire trip was stand, sitting, standing, on a light post at the harbor in Ketchikan. Well, and he had to be three feet tall. It seemed like he was huge. That's really even more interesting to me, too, right? Because we live here in you yeah. know, Dayton, Cincinnati area. When you went there, seeing an eagle is a big deal yeah. if you're from here. Yes. But in that time, I can now see an eagle in Dayton, Ohio yeah. pretty regularly. Yeah. I haven't seen it in yeah. over a year, but it, I know where they are. Well, so when I lived wild. in Hamilton, exactly. we had, there was a, you would, you would know where they were at because you would right. see lines of cars with a photographer set up with yeah. huge lenses but and it, this one eagle family nest yeah. and they would, 
they were having chicks and all this. Yeah. That was a few years ago now, but uh, long story short, Eagles have been repopulated here yes. in Dayton, Ohio, where they where they yeah. used to be. But the deet situation supposedly is the issue. But anyway, uh, but but, but you know, at the time that you took that trip, that would have been a big yeah, deal. Yeah, it was a big deal. That was a big bird. I didn't understand. You know, when someone tells you something, how big something is, <laughs> you kind of not. Yeah, 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 yeah. Until you see that thing spread its wings, you're like, holy smokes, that's huge. Oh, it's, I mean, obviously I love it here because the geese are such a problem here and they don't like eagles. So, <laughs> so I'm like, yes, let us, let us get more of these uh, water hunters that uh, yes. come from the sky. <laughs> but uh, that was pretty much the trip for a, a la the Alaska part of the trip. The trip back, uh, I touched on uh, riding with Bob, Bill. I forget what his name is. I could go through this and find out. But uh, his wife asked. I said, okay. So I kept my word and rode back with him to uh, said, was it to, to Glacier. Glacier. Uh, I'm trying to think of the town's name. If you're on the east side of Glacier, it's Browning. On the west side of Glacier, Kalispell. That's where we met, Kalispell. And uh, that was, we camped the entire ride over to how many but days we, was that? Two or three. I can't remember which. So the person, essentially, you'd never met before. No, and we ride way two. different. I have no doubt. Uh, like every dirt road I saw, I'm like, I'm, I want to go that way. And then he's on a road glide. Yeah. With Well, until we got to Spokane with a bald tire. Yeah. Like, well, we can't do that. That's, I because mean, you, I said I would ride with him. She was afraid that, you know, riding by himself, something happened. I don't know. I, I don't have that disease i prefer a lot of times to ride by myself even with groups yeah i ride by myself i i, I love talking with you about it because our taste is so similar that's what's to this day is one of the things i find so similar so interesting is that you and i both we ride by far alone more than yeah. with anyone else um and so i was going to say that earlier i'd love to hear from the listeners Hit me email motoadvr at gmail .com. Like, are you uh, do you like group rides rides better? Do you like riding alone, and uh, why? Like, because it's interesting to me. And for me, a group is two. <laughs> <laughs> well, That's like fair. when you and when we first started going down to Kentucky, it was three. Yeah. Um, and I don't know why it doesn't work for me. I just I don't. I just feel more comfortable. It. To me, the, the, the hang-up with group riding is skill level and taste. And then it ends up being, if, as you and I are, like, I want to do what I want to do, and I want to do it when I want to do it, which means I'm going to make sacrifices for other people. It's not that I don't like other people. Right. It's just that for whatever reason, I'm wired to, I'm on this schedule. And mm. to your point, I do end up rushing because I, I got a time yeah. problem yes. that I'm chasing. And so other people mean that I'm mad at myself for the decisions that I either made or were made for me. And it, it, it sometimes yeah. ruins the experience. It's like here, there's a note hot 96 degrees today in Washington. <laughs> that's uh, it's a warm day. July in Washington. Well, yeah, that's this was I actually the last uh, 30th of July. That was the, the other question that I wanted to ask. So when you were camping, what gear did you take to camp and what were the temperatures like? Because I'm sure that affected the choice. In Alaska, the lows, for the most part, were in the high 40s, low 50s. Yeah. And um, 
I don't even know if the company's still around. It's called Wiggies. It's still, I know it's probably still around. I just don't know if they still make what they do. Wiggies got their start making blankets for aircraft to keep the engine warm yeah. in Alaska. They're actually out of Washington, but they branched out. They make stuff for the military also. Um, bivy sacks. Yeah. And uh, I'm not the littlest person, and they make a very, very good we'll call it roomy sleeping bag. Nice. And um, I can roll over inside it. it yeah. That <laughs> um, matters. If you're yes, a side, it does. If you're a side sleeper. Yeah, I, I, I flop back and forth all the time. I cannot just lay on my back and sleep or lay. I used to lay on my front, lay face down and sleep, and people would think I was dead. I've shared a cabin with you at Lago Linda. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm aware of you. I bounce yeah, all over yeah. the place. <laughs> but uh, no, um, and I can I, from my some of these things are probably 30 or 40 years well 30 years old now um uh, thermal rests yeah i was curious if you put a pad down yeah i have a couple thermal rests that are shockingly, no holes. shockingly no, old yes and they work just fine these are self-inflatable or yeah they're self-inflatable uh one's green one's purple the purple one is narrow for because at that time i was much thinner in the military and used a mummy bag yeah and it's the whole length of the bag it's six foot long and then the green one is much wider but it stops about my knees yeah so you know but um i just took the the short one the green one um and that was it that was the house you packed that in the the tail bag yeah no that was in the saddlebags that's impressive yeah yeah i don't know well it'll go about nine inches yeah and about six inches round. That's not bad. Diameter. Yeah. But uh, I'm really good at, you know, I used to live on a ship where my whole life, block, you know, everything I owned on the ship was two and a half feet wide, nine inches deep, and six foot six long. Right. And then I had a hanging locker that carried, was for four shirts, two jackets, and one coat. It, it makes sense, right? Like, because I think that's one of the reasons why people get nervous about this trip is what to pack. And so that's why I was glad that you mentioned you took five yeah. t-shirts and yeah. five pairs of underwear and socks. Well, and well, that way I figured I could go for four days. Right. And, you know, the fifth day stop. You have to, and that's one of the things, and I didn't do it so much on this one until I got there. Stop. Yeah. Stop. Smell the roses. Take a day off. So you do laundry at the hotel or mm-hmm. in the sink or? That uh, or that or the, they have a, that most hotels have a they had laundry, laundry facility, facilities. Yeah. Yeah. If not, sometimes I would find a laundry. But uh, my first day off, if you want to call it, was when I got to Toke. It was a week. And then I, the first night in Toke, I was in a hotel. The next night I was at a campground. And if you guys ever go up, if anybody ever goes up, stop at Thompson's Eagle Claw. That is the best. They have no power. They are completely off grid. If you, They show a movie every night. They got to start the generator. Yeah. You can stay in an ambulance. I did. <laughs> you can stay in a teepee. Uh, I met a fellow there that was on a 990, 950, I'm sorry. Yeah. He was a doctor. Yeah. And he was headed back down. And uh, he was staying in the teepee. And the only people that are allowed to stay there that do not ride motorcycles, their first two customers ever showed up in a green Dodge pickup truck. 
And that's the only reason that truck can be there is that was their first two customers ever. That's funny. This is, what'd you say it was Thompson's? Thompson's Eagle Claw. That's cool. It's in Toke, Alaska. Motorcycle only, only. campground. And it is a, uh, it's an experience. Oh yes. <laughs> it's, it's a place to be. I was, uh, I met a father and son there that, uh, the son rode a BSA 65. Okay. Um, and the father had, um, uh, I won't say restored, but he had something that resembled an Indian that ran and they rode up from the Bay area, the father and son trip up the coast. Yeah. They just kept going. Yeah. And, uh, if you see the sign and it looks like a cut out of an Indian, the father made that for Thompson's Eagle claw to put it out by the street yeah. or the gravel road they're on. So people would know where it was at. Cause there's no sign. There wasn't right. when I was there, maybe now, but when I was there, um, the sign was like 15 feet back the driveway. <laughs> yeah. So you had to know. I went by it a couple of times before I actually saw it. It's it is definitely my obsession with it because it is the, I, I want to be careful. I want to plan it so that obviously I don't run out of gas and I don't miss the key places. But it, to me, sounds like there are so many random circ- yeah. uh, happenstance that you could experience that you don't want to miss out on that either. Let it happen. That's kind of why I normally don't plan I my plan is like the Key West ride or the main ride or any of the Alaska ride anyway I'm going to go here what happens between A and B is what happens yeah um, I didn't have any set plans I knew when I was in Calgary I had this many days to get right. on the boat in Whittier what I did between Calgary and Whittier yeah. was whatever happened um, one of the things I did kind of go by real quick is everybody wants to go up the Dalton to go to Purdue Bay. I had no reason to go see an oil field. <laughs> Zero. That surprises me. The farthest I went up the Dalton is I went to chicken or not chicken, cold foot. Right. Which I, is a I, good way. Well, it, not uh, roughly half. Okay. Um, and I have a really nice picture of my bike in front of the Arctic circle. Right. And that's about it. <laughs> Yeah, that was that's as far north as I got. Purdue Bay, I think, is the furthest north that you can go on pavement. If I remember, no, no, it's not. It's gravel. Sorry, it is the the furthest north. We'll call it road available. Not anymore. Okay. When I did it, yeah, yes, but now you can take the Dempster, right, in Canada. You'll come out of Dawson City, not Dawson Creek, and you used to have to stop at uh, Inuvik. Yeah. Now you can go to, and I'm going to, I cannot pronounce the name because it's Yak to Tuk Tuk. Right. It's another 250 miles of gravel. Yeah. After you just did 500. Wow. For this North, in North America. Yes. And Purdue you can, Bay being Amer- in the United States. But the problem with Purdue Bay is when you stop, when you get to the end, that's a tailings pond. That is not the ocean. Right. You're another 20 miles to the ocean. Yeah. When you go to Yuck to Tuck Tuck, that is the Bering Sea. Wow. You can roll your wheel in it, step your foot in it, whatever you want. That's, that's cool. If you go much farther, it's going to get really wet really fast. Right. No, that's an interesting piece of it. Um, it makes me wonder what the Canadian infrastructure is like to get there versus what it took to get to Purdue Bay. You better do 300 miles on a fill-up. That's what I was getting at. It was like, There's, I have a feeling it's even more remote than yeah, adult. It is. 
and the nice thing, sorry, the nice thing about the Canada part, going up to Dempster, is all the ferries are free. That is cool. There's a couple of them. Uh, one of the biggest one, I think, is the McKenzie River. I think that's what it is. So the Canadian tax dollars just pay for it? Yeah. Wow. Well, actually, I think the mines that are up there pay for it. Yeah. That's impressive. Uh, there are mines. Uh, there, I know there's a diamond mine up there. I don't know what else is up there, but are there's a bunch serious? of mines. Yeah, there's a bunch of mines up there. That's wild. And gold mines and things like that. I think that's who pays for all of that. That has got to be a weird place because I would imagine that, you know, there's frankly like what's left over from glaciers and asteroid impacts. And it's, it is a weird place when you look at that part of the world, northern Canada. When you look at that on yeah. Google View, it's yeah. just like water dirt, water dirt, water dirt. It's a weird place. Well, it's like uh, I'm trying to think of the name of its island. We went up there the astronauts did for Apollo yeah, to play like they were on the moon. Right. Baffin? Okay. That Baffin Island? What it's a very large island. I mean, it's a thousand miles. Well, I want to think it's a thousand miles north to south and probably 500 east-west. It's a big island. But parts of it are like being on the moon. Just just rocks, gravel, yeah. stone. Empty. Yeah, earth. nothing. Yeah, that is wild. I've... Uh, lately been well i don't know if it's good for this or not but i've been lately thinking about heading up that way yeah and uh i hadn't made up my mind how to do it but uh things that float are entertaining in my head and i've been researching uh northwest passage okay that's the easiest way to do that is do the northwest passage and uh it looks interesting. Think about getting you a sailboat, are you? Uh, sailboat. Um, my idea of a sailboat to do this is probably a lot different than most. Uh, I would not some, want something more than about 32, 34 feet long. Right. And I want it made out of steel. Hmm. Ice is hard. Yes. <laughs> so I hear anyway. <laughs> Fiberglass is soft. Yeah, true story there. So but anyway, that's a whole different story. But the Alaska trip, uh, it's. Uh, I think I keep the last part of the story. I think was uh, how did you get home from um, Glacier? Glacier, I uh, went through Glacier, uh, rode the road to the sun, west to east, came back out, spent the night in Browning, camped in Browning. Uh, and it was hot, like 100 degrees hot. Oof. Uh, I have photographs of dogs laying under pickup trucks. That's, hot. A, that's a rough day it's, in a Kilimanjaro jacket. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, I've been on rides way hotter than that in Utah. Yes. In that same jacket. Oof. 116. You're a brave man. No. But uh, it has a high, you can put a hydration pack in the jacket. Yeah. Anyway, uh, after Browning, I rode to. How late? I rode real late that day. And I ended up in Sioux City, Iowa. Sioux City, Iowa, for those who don't know, is pretty much as far northwest in Iowa as you can get. Next day, I get up about 6 o'clock in the morning. I get back on the road. And I'm supposed to stop in Illinois on the way home. It's my birthday. And about 5 o'clock, I'm going to go by my buddy Scott's house. And I stopped and saw Scott and his wife on the way out. Mm-hmm. And Alyssa, I told her about the spot tracker. She was always trying to find me on it. 
And I was thinking I could have a beer at my couch at 9.30 tonight or Scott's couch. Scott's couch. I didn't even roll off the throttle. Yeah. Sioux City, Iowa to Hamilton, Ohio, 774 miles. That's the story I remember. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, I just kept I'm right done. on going. Yeah. Um, I got back a few days before I had to so I could kind of decompress or recompress was probably the better word uh, to get back into the grind and going back to work. Um, but I would do that trip again tomorrow if the weather would cooperate. <laughs> I heard that, yeah. Um, the, we're getting close to the wall here. The only other thing was... Um, how did daylight affect the trip? Because eh, July is almost was, 100% sun, I would assume. That's something that Alyssa, Scott's daughter, said something about. Well, Scott said something about that. Alyssa would track, you know, check the spot tracker. Yeah. And I got a text message from him while I was in Alaska. And he goes, do you realize you're riding way late into the night? I'm like, Scott, there's a time change. He goes, oh, yeah. But... There is a note in here that I rode one night till 10 o'clock. Yeah. The problem is why I was there, it never really got dark. Right. About 1230, the sun would set. But it never got dark because at about 130, right. <laughs> yeah. it was peaking back up. Yeah. Um, now, I was past the solstice, so the days were actually getting shorter. Right. But for someone that's used to 12 and 12 at the solstice, not right 22 hours of sunlight, uh, or depending on where you're at, complete darkness in the wintertime yeah. for months, uh, that was different. Uh, that really didn't catch up to me until Telketna. When I stopped in Telketna and I got the campground, got into the campground, got the tent set up, I went for a walk. Had dinner, went back to the tent, and pretty much passed out because I was, I don't know if it was fatigue from writing so much yeah. or just being awake so much. Yeah. But I, when I, that one night, I just out, and a bomb could have went off when I'd have slept through it. It's It's got to be weird. Like, I yeah. remember switching shifts in the Army, and it's a pain in the ass when you work that, you know, that third shift and you go to bed and all the sun's still up and stuff yeah. like that. But And obviously from the Navy, except when you're inside the shift and you didn't see it, it's, well, you would understand that. Well, but. we did rotating, basically rotating shift work. Right. Uh, every three days was a 20-hour day. Oh, it sucks. You know what? Ever heard of five and dimes? Yeah. So if you know what five and dimes are, you know what I used to do for... It's, Pretty much ten years. Military is crazy. I do that, but the point being is, yeah. like, it's got to be weird in a tent. Yeah, like you're trying to get tired and go to sleep, but every time you roll over and open your eyes, you're like, it's daylight. Oh, am I supposed to get up? No, no, it's still only two a.m. Yeah. You idiot. And that was still, you know, cell phone. What time is it? Yeah, uh, I quit wearing a watch a long time ago. So, That's funny. so, but yeah, it's uh, the sunlight. This is kind of an obscure mu movie for Robin Williams, and um, I am trying to think of the guy that was in it with him. Who played Scarface? Oh, God. You're, you're putting me on the podcast spot right now. I'm I know sorry. who you're talking about. Anyway, Insomnia is the name of the movie. Okay. And it's about murder or murders in Alaska, and that was one of the things that Robin Williams played a bad guy. Apparently, I need to see this. It's yeah. a great movie, and uh, 
Who played in The Son of a Woman? You're killing me, man. That's the same fella. <laughs> anyway, I cannot remember his name. Somebody is really screaming. Out there <laughs> I know. Right they'll now. get over it. We miss you guys. We're sorry. Yeah, but anyway, he uh, he's from somewhere in San Francisco or L.A., and he comes up to help them, the detective to help them. And uh, how you doing with your sleep? Yeah. Because he's stapling the curtains closed. He's putting black paper over the windows. Oh, yeah. He can't sleep. It's insomnia. I've had <laughs> to do that in my new house because yeah. there's so many windows, and I... Had so, so few, right. I had so few in my previous one that I literally yeah. covered the windows with foil because I was yeah. like, I can't. I used yeah. to live in a cave. Like this is crazy. So go through that real. door is the cave. Right, it's real. So, but well, yes, uh, but uh, no. Uh, the the it doesn't bother me so much. I think because of the military background, yeah. but it could. I could see it really playing with people's minds. The the uh, in the time change. Even though it's slow because you're writing. It's true. But the time change between the East Coast and Alaska is two more hours than the West Coast. Oh, wow. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Coming back is going to be weird then. Yeah. Well, because you lose. Right. But when you're riding crazy miles, it really... The days just literally get longer. Yes. Yeah. Well, it gets shorter. No, it's... Well, as you're headed west, yeah. is what I'm saying. That yeah, you get you get that extra time as you keep going. So, what um, what kind of wisdom would you like to depart on the uh, or impart? I think impart, the, yeah, impart on the uh, listeners. The biggest thing I can say is the same thing I tell my kids: life is too damn short. Go as soon as you can. Travel. Uh, Mark Twain said it best, and I will butcher his quote. But um, traveling will cure a lot of things in this world when you learn other people. Yeah. Uh, we're not all there is. I like it. If you go to other places and learn these places, and it doesn't take long, you know, we're the land of milk and honey, pretty much. Yeah. And... If you go to these places that's not all milk and honey, you will understand about survival. And and I used to make the joke. I had a friend that did uh, demolition derby. Mm -hmm. When the apocalypse comes, he's your best bud because <laughs> he knows how to keep that thing running. <laughs> True story. So. You know, there, there's there's wisdom and there's wisdom. Yeah. Uh, or intelligence and wisdom. Please don't get them confused. Yeah also true so i like it well with that we will catch the listeners down the road